You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If ready PG. CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale. Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. back to Barton and Bud. I am Barton Simmons. He is Bud Elliott. It is game week in America. We got Power 5 games teed up. It's Thursday morning as we are recording right now. Uh, we are hours away from UAB Miami. We are two days away from a you know, I, I don't know if, if in a normal year we would call this a loaded slate, but man, it feels loaded to me after the, the, the long hiatus we've had from football after a, a limited first weekend or so. Uh, but congratulations, we made it, man. Look, dude, we, we, we made it. And I mean, this is, this is sour cream, chives, bacon. This is, this is fully loaded uh, for sure. <laughs> so I'm, I'm all about it. I, I think with, with the later in the week show, um, I want to do a couple things just to kind of set the table here for the audience. And normally this will come out on Wednesday, not on, uh, not on Thursday, but due to Labor Day and some other stuff, we, we pushed it a day this week. Uh, I, I want to talk about kind of larger themes. Uh, I think that this will kind of be the show that's a little bit less reaction and a little more kind of broad picture or, you know, kind of broad topic type show. I also want to discuss like what we're looking for in the games this weekend. Like what, what are we going to be watching to, to you know, maybe present some questions we want to see if we can be answered uh, about these games. So I think for this week, since we don't really have any broad observations to make because, you know, we really haven't had any games yet for these teams, we can just kind of go game by game and, and just pinpoint what we want to see from these teams. I like it. <clears throat> I like it. We're, there's, a, there's a lot that we still need to learn. Uh, we, are, we are less educated than we've ever been on every team in college football. Week one was uh, evidence of that. Certainly on my front, I I was on cover three. We do the locks, and and I was uh, required to hand in three picks. I wanted nothing to do with three picks. I went zero and three. So uh, I'm I am I'm anxious to to gather some information this week. Um, and it, I think our first our first game of the week is is going to be educational. I think in in a, in in a lot of ways, but but uh, among all the games all weekend long, the Thursday night game UAB at Miami has a chance to be one of the more educational games we're going to see because we get the unveiling of the Miami offense, we get the unveiling of Derek King, of Rhett Lashley, of Jalen Phillips, um, we get to see Miami try to break his two game losing streak to Conference USA. We uh, we get to see what Manny Diaz has done to fix things since our last viewing of Miami, which was pathetic, uh, it, it, which is, uh, I think, a generous description. Um, 
Bud, 7 p.m. Central Time, 8 p.m. Eastern, UAB Miami. What you got your eye on? So I, I've been talking to Brandon Marcello, who, who knows Rhett Lashley some due to their, their overlapping time at Auburn, and, and I, I was peppering him some questions. Hey, what do you really think this Miami offense will look like? And obviously, I you know, talked to Andrew Ivins as well, who's on our national recruiting team now and, and also works for the Miami site. And one, I have a couple questions. How, how will Miami's offense look under Red Lashley? Uh, I think we're expecting them to be uh, more of tempo than they were. Uh, how much were they able to actually install spring, you know, over Zoom calls in summer? How much have they been able to install in fall camp? Now, look, these these scrimmage reports with new quarterback Derek King, who transferred from Houston, have been absolutely phenomenal. I mean, six touchdowns for, from King and, and limited limited work and um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How do Miami's receivers look? Because in talking to Marcelo, he thinks that they're going to look a lot like some of these Auburn offenses back when they had uh, Nick Marshall at quarterback. So King is very mobile. He's a good thrower, but not a great thrower. Uh, Miami has two tight ends they really like in Mallory and Jordan. I haven't heard a whole lot about the receivers, though. And last year, their best receiver by far was K.J. Osborne, the, the Buffalo transfer. So UAB's defense, it doesn't suck. I don't think it's a great defense, but it's it's a decent defense by, by the standards of the league it plays in. They kind of had some flukish scores given up to Central Arkansas, you know, pick six or fumble six, uh, a four-yard touchdown drive and a 15-yard touchdown drive. If you look at it in my Every Game Reviewed column, they actually held UAB to 2.9 yards per play before garbage – or excuse me, UAB held UCA to 2.9 a play before garbage time. I, I, think, uh, I think this is going to be – I'm going to learn something from this game about Miami's offense. I don't think this is just a roll the ball out there and score 51. If they do drop a huge number, I'm probably buying in with a quickness. Yeah, I, I, I mean, this is, this is a great opportunity to, to learn about Miami because they are playing a, a quality defense and because the, the whole crux of what Miami's going to be this year is what are they on offense. And I, I, I like where you went with the wide receivers because – and even just like the skill players in general – I mean, you look at the the depth chart, and there's those are all guys that we thought were really good coming out of high school. Everywhere, I mean, offensive line is a different story, and you just sort of that's just sort of a different roll of the dice. Um, but they should be. I would imagine they're improved up front. They have a, a quarterback that will be improved, if nothing else. And and hey, best case scenario, maybe he's fantastic. But you know, Mark Pope at wide receiver like why like what what's the deal there like that's a guy that I thought was a stud coming out of high school I mean can can they find a way and maybe it's just a product that they just haven't had quarterbacks that can get those guys the ball and they haven't really but I'm not gonna totally excuse the the wide receivers from not going out there and making some plays and so um yes I think that the to me the wide receiver position I'm also excited to see what kind of um, boost Jalen Knight and Don Chaney, the freshman running backs can give to that offense. Um, and, and look, I, I am, I think Rhett Lashley was a good hire. I think his, his time with Sonny Dykes is important in this as well. You know, you, you mentioned his time with Gus Malzahn. I think Sonny Dykes in, injects a, a, a good influence there that he can bring to, to Miami as well. It's time for a spread at Miami. I've been saying it for for a long time, um, but you know we we 
we talked ourselves into um, uh, Dan Enos as well. Like we, when he left Miami, we talked ourselves into Dan Enos as like the next big thing. And, so, and he was like, uh, you know, option one, two, and three for Manny Diaz, it seemed. Like that was who he wanted. And so um, let's, let, let, let's, let's figure out if this is a good hire or not. Um, and, and I assume it was a strong hire, but we're going to know a lot more about that after the game. All right, let's head up to Chapel Hill where noon ACC network. Uh, th- this is probably my, my noon game of choice if, if I have to pick you know, one really? of the early games. I got another noon game of choice. I, there's, a couple, there's one that I'm going to be having on probably another, another TV as well. Um, actually, there's some sneaky good nooners here. Mm-hmm. But I've said all offseason I'm, I'm going to uh, overvalue teams that have a lot of offensive continuity coming back. North Carolina is basically example 1A for that. Syracuse this week, uh, both of their presumed starters in the backfield uh, decided to opt out. It uh, looks like they are uh, perilously thin on the offensive line, but I don't know that their starters in the offensive line are going to suck. I just I think that they're you know if they get some injuries or opt outs there, they could be in trouble. I I want to see can can Carolina's defense make this Syracuse offense look bad. Like, can Carolina's defense take a step? If they are going to take a step this year, I feel like they need to come out and look good against against Syracuse. Because I don't hate Carolina's frontline starters. I just think they're lacking depth, especially along the defensive front. Um, I I just I want to see this defense. I want to see what they do to Syracuse. And Syracuse is in that conversation for me for maybe the worst team in the ACC. So I want to see if, if North Carolina can come out uh, and put a hurting on them. I mean, the line is is twenty three now, so that's that's a pretty hefty price to pay. Yeah, I, I, you know, look, North Carolina has been this um, darling team, this sweetheart pick. Uh, they return all this these guys. You know, the Mac Brown era is rolling. Sam Howell at quarterback, uh, blowout in the bowl game, dark horse playoff and ACC championship game type of team. And I, I think all that is fair to be excited about. But for, for like for me. I'm actually more interested in Syracuse this game just because I, I, I wonder like, you know, early in the year, um, especially from a gambling perspective, you know, like you, you sort of find your teams that not only that you're going to ride, but the teams that you're going to fade, like teams that you just, I'm pretty sure this team is like really bad and people are going to figure out they're really bad about four weeks into the season. I, I like Syracuse might be really bad. They got, you know, both their running backs are out. You know, you mentioned the, the offensive line, uh, their their defense is, you know, they got good de- uh, back end guys, but and they're moving to this three three five stuff, and you know maybe that's going to be some sort of a solution uh, that can give some people some issues. Certainly, it's worked to San Diego State and um, uh, Tony White, the new defensive coordinator, is is comes from some some good lineage, but I I, I just think Syracuse might be really bad, and so I'm anxious to see that. I'm also like to their credit, Sterling Gilbert comes in as Dino Baber's offensive coordinator after a year at McNeese State as the head coach. This is the same guy that was at uh, Texas that Charlie Strong started to save his job with. He was at USF with Charlie Strong, uh, Tulsa before that. And before that, he was with David Montgomery again. He was, or I'm sorry, with, um, uh, with uh, Dino Babers again. He was with Dino at uh, Eastern Illinois, Dino with, uh, at Bowling Green. And those were when Dino Babers had some really good offenses. So I'm, 
like is on the 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 optimistic view is like I'm curious to see what the 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 reunion of Dino Babers and Sterling Gilbert brings. Tommy DeVito's in year two at quarterback. Maybe he's a little more competent than he was last year. So, you know, that that's that that's the 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 upside. Like maybe this looks better than I'm expecting, but I, I'm actually expecting this to look really bad. And I am I'm very anxious to see if this is a team to to just start fading early in the year before Vegas catches up. You may be right about this. I I think the Gilbert point is great because We've seen uh, if you want to kind of ruin your reputation as an offensive coordinator, go work for Charlie Strong, right? Like he is he is absolutely one of these guys along with like a must champ. And there's a couple other ones out there as far as defensive minded head coaches that I just I have real questions about whether you can be a successful offensive coordinator working for one of these defensive head coaches like that. Some defensive head coaches are great and they actually let you thrive as an OC and give you the resources and, and, and the leeway that you need to operate. But some, you know, maybe. Some maybe don't. I, I think Strong fits into that. Uh, so maybe Gilbert uh, is is better than we think he is. And certainly him and Bryles speak the same language w- when it comes – or not Bryles, excuse me. Uh, uh, him and Baber speak the same language when it comes to running that Bryles system. Mm-hmm. All right, man. I, I, I think I know where you're going with, with, uh, with, with the yeah. game that's going to be on your main TV. No doubt. Yeah, we got to – you got to go with the Iowa State, Louisiana. Uh, I think that's that's one of my favorite games of the weekend. <clears throat> um, I am I've been sort of an Iowa State stand here for a couple of years. I think they're going to be really good once again. <clears throat> Brock Purdy, really good. I've long been a Brees uh, Hall guy at, at running back. Uh, I think their defense has got a lot of players, and they're they're coming into this this game as as favorites against a Louisiana team that is. One of the, I think probably one of the best group of five teams in the country. I think they probably got two NFL running backs. I think they've got a really good college quarterback. Uh, they've, they've, I think they've got a really good coaching staff. I think Billy Napier is a superstar, and this is a, this is as, as challenging of a group of five game as anyone can can schedule. Um, you know, barring like a UCF or a Memphis type of matchup, and so. I think we'll, you know, A, we'll learn a lot about uh, Iowa State. We'll learn a lot about Louisiana. We'll learn a lot about Billy Napier. I think in particular, we're going to learn a lot about Iowa State from a from a run, like a, a run defense perspective. And like, you know, they've, they're built to defend the, <clears throat> the, the Big 12 offenses and the, you know, as, as wide open as those, those, systems are and 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 that's sort of how they've they've tried to fashion their defense um but you know i mean kansas state put up 231 yards rushing on them last year um notre dame in the bowl game was you know average seven yards a play and rushed for over 200 yards um oklahoma i don't really count because they just they you know they can do that on a lot of teams um but i want to see if you know what their defense looks like um what that because i think this is a legitimate challenge i think billy napier and and his 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 offense can present a legitimate challenge to a defense like iowa state and so particularly when you've got some i i think a little bit like when you look at the big 12 as a as a whole whether it's whether it's baylor i mean tcu certainly is going to be run heavy uh oklahoma state with chuba purdy you know, Texas is, is probably there's as deep as they are at wide receiver. They're going to be 
you know, they're going to feel better about their run game this year. Going to lean into it. Kansas State, we know. Like, I just think the the Big Twelve in general has become a little bit more diverse in terms of the way they try to beat you. And so, I, I think that Louisiana offers up a good litmus test for uh, for what this Iowa State defense could potentially look like throughout the rest of the season. Have they earned us calling them Louisiana? I, to me, in my head, it, it, it's still UL Lafayette or or, or Louisiana Lafayette. I, I'll, I'll make the effort. I'll, I'll try to call them Louisiana. All right. I, have pro, I have programmed myself. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a very coachable. I'm, I'm accommodating. You know, if, you, if you're going to tell me to call you Louisiana, then look, you know what? I'll call you Louisiana, I guess. All right. Uh, so, Louisiana, last year, I think you hit on it. I mean, just awesome run game. We'll see, you know, how how Iowa State's run defense is. I'm going to flip the script here because the the major question I have about both of these teams is actually on the other side of the ball. I want to know if Iowa State can run the football, and I want to know if Louisiana can stop the run. Last year, these guys were kind of equally horrendous at doing so. So Louisiana's run defense last year, 93rd in SB+. I mean, their, their pass defense was pretty fine. I mean, 43rd, you know, which, which for a team in that league is, is no problem. Their run defense was atrocious, man. They, they got gutted quite often. And Iowa State's run game uh, was similarly, like, just straight up bad, despite the fact that, you know, Hall is a good back. And Purdy's pretty mobile. And yet, Iowa State, their run game was, like, they put almost everything on, on, on Purdy. They, they were 82nd in the nation in running. So, it's something's got to give here, right? Like, is Louisiana's defense going to step up and stop the run better? Or can Iowa State show me some signs of progress with its run game? So I'll definitely have that one on. Um, I think this you, is clearly are you the game. Pushing, are you pushing me towards the over on this? I, well, but the thing is, that, like, number's like, 57. Like, the clock might run. Yeah. You no, know? and neither of these teams really wants to push well, but, like crazy but, but, tempo. The clock, why do you say the clock might run? Because, I mean, Iowa State showed signs. Like, Iowa State is, is like, I agree. I think the run game for Iowa State is, is a big question because they lose all their offensive line. The offensive line didn't block that well in the run game anyways. What do they do to, to replace that unit and get better in the run game? But, they, you know, maybe they're just content with letting Brock Purdy throw it 35 times. Um, they could so, be. You know, I'm, I'm – I'm, I wonder if this is a game where you could see some points scored. It could be. The only reason I probably wouldn't screw with this is I definitely don't think ULL is going to try to air it out a whole lot. Like their their strategy pretty clearly is going to be to keep the ball on the ground, try to keep this a low possession game. Neither of these teams are like super tempo teams. I mean, Iowa State's actually a pretty slow team. Uh, they're like bottom 25 in the country in, in tempo. If this, I, I do think this is the game that if you just went to the average fan and you said, guess the spread, I don't think a lot of fans would get it or, or even within a touchdown, right? Because, I mean, people, I think people have a hard time figuring out what the spread should be in these non-conference matchups. And just for you guys out there, if you're, if you're wondering, it's, it's 11. Are you saying, do you think fans would think it would be a bigger number than that? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, I, Iowa State's a, a popular team. They, they they have a you know popular coach and a popular quarterback. I don't think most people can name many, if any, players on Louisiana. And yeah, I, I think I think most people would think it'd be higher. Yeah, it's you know it's interesting though because I've seen a lot of um, when I was just doing a little research on this game, just running through the Google search and just seeing the headlines and seeing what stories pop for me that I wanted to, to dig into. A lot of um, – 
watch out for the upset stories oh. out there. And so I do wonder if like Iowa State is, uh, and it feels like it, it feels like it is increasingly becoming trendy to call this like, um, you know, upset a, special thing. Upset special. You know, keep an eye on this game, like because. Uh, I'm I'm writing on Billy Napier today. I'm probably putting together something. On, I'm I'm gonna add to the chorus of like, um, you know, the the rise of Napier. So he's he is he is not some sort of like off-brand pick at this point. So I'm I, I would be curious what the what, the, but the public is. Let's see what the public is. Just just out of curiosity, like what the so the public is it's pretty split. It's uh. Iowa State just got a little, like a slight lead, fifty-seven percent. Um, so it's interesting. I uh, if this if this thing if this ticks higher, like 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 come game day, if this gets to like thirteen, I'm I'm gonna be on ULL. What if what if it ticks lower? Ooh, right now it's kind of in a dead zone where I really just don't want to touch yeah, it. I don't if, want to if, touch if it got either. down to a touchdown, I'm, I'm going to take Purdy and, and yeah. just think that ULL can't, can't keep up, but yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So you, so going to stay in the Sun Belt. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Charlotte app state, uh, right up the road from you, right, right down the road from me. What's, uh, what do you think? So this is the kind of this is the year that I'm really questioning App State a little bit. I we, we knew that Drinkwitz last year was set up for success because of all the players that, that Satterfield left him. Um, this was going to be the year. Like, I, I thought Drinkwitz was extremely smart to get out when he did uh, because I, I, I they lose a lot off last year's team. Now they also bring back a good number of guys, but like defensively. App State loses a whole lot. I mean, they're what one, two, three, four top. They're, they're top four leading tacklers. Uh, they had uh, they had six guys on the team who had forty plus tackles last year, and five of the six are gone. Uh, like this is going to be an interesting experiment to see what happens with that App State defense against a Charlotte team that really doesn't play any defense itself. Uh, however, that Charlotte team can score. Will Healy is, is is a good offensive coach. They do lose Alex Atkins, who's now the Florida State offensive line coach, and he was their, you know, kind of co C run game coordinator last year, if I recall. Uh, but I'm interested to see what happens with Appalachian State's defense. I do think that App State will probably be able to score pretty much. I don't want to say at will, but they they didn't lose that much off off last year's team. The, the quarterback's back. I, I believe they're they're. They're, you know, they're leading receivers and, and they're leading running backs are back. Of course, uh, Sutton's out. Sutton is out. Yeah, he's he's um he opted out actually. Oh shoot, okay, the, I missed. I that. think he was dealing with in, he's opted out. I think this week, um, he was dealing with some some injuries. Uh, I don't know that he was going to be ready for this game anyways. Um, but uh, but yeah, he's uh, he's he's opted out at this point. But but still, I mean, Zach Thomas coming back in and of itself is is pretty big. Like the. For me, it's the it is the year two jump potentially for Will Healy. You know, this is the same guy that went winless in his first year at Austin P. Second year, they went like seven and five or seven and six or something, and um, you know, were were 
sort of the the story of FCS um, after taking over an Austin P program that had lost you know seventy five of seventy six games or something. So you know it, it's a little bit blind faith because they were really bad on defense last year. Um, it's a little bit of like all right, how, like how much can you can further instill a culture? How much? But I do think like there's going to be a. I mean, this is for for programs and teams that are looking to like generate energy in a season void of energy. Like, I've got a feeling Will Healy's type of team is going to be really uh, dialed into that and be be able to to do that. On the on the flip side, App State is. You're right. They lose like Scott Satterfield, Neil Drinkwitz. Two of, two of the better offensive minds in the country. So that those have been the coaches at, at App State the last uh, few years. And so you would think, okay, big void, uh, no longer offensive guru. Um, Sean Clark, certainly a, a good coach, offensive line coach. I, you know, maybe he's an offensive guru in his in his own right, and I'm and I'm underselling him. But that aside, the the continuity of the culture within that program is still there. And so I think that there's a level of um, I don't know, like you, you know that that's that's I guess what you have to measure. Like you, you're you're noticing that they've lost some players, that there's going to be some turnover, that the, the roster may not be quite what it, what it was with Satterfield and Trinkwitz. Well, all right. So how much do you weigh that versus the idea that this is just things just going to keep on chugging along at App State, Boone, North Carolina is Boone, North Carolina, and so I think that that's going to be. Um, we'll see. It'll be interesting. I, I, it, I'll be fascinated to see if Charlotte. I mean that's a big that's a big statement if Charlotte can can keep this one close. I I agree. All right, uh, let's go ahead and skip Eastern Kentucky, West Virginia. We saw EKU just get totally pantsed by Marshall. Uh, EKU looks like there's trouble this year, and we don't need to talk about these FCS games unless we really feel like it. Uh, Arkansas State heads to Manhattan, uh, Manhattan, Kansas. That is to play Kansas State. We've already seen Arky State play one game this year. Uh, they lost to Memphis. Uh, they actually covered against Memphis, and uh, they had some open receivers who had some drops against Memphis. So this offense may be slightly underrated. Uh, I'm going to see, like, can Arkansas State's defense do anything against a Kansas State offense, which runs a very different attack than what Memphis does? And on the flip side of that, uh, Kansas State, I believe, has to replace all five offensive linemen. I, I do have a lot of trust in Chris Kleiman, but I'm, I'm going to be watching to see is this a cluster in week one replacing all those guys? I have a feeling it won't be a total cluster with, with climbing coaching them. Uh, but can Arkansas state's defense put up a fight against Kansas state's run game? Does Kansas state still want to play with that same, same, you know, low tempo and, uh, and pound the rock that I want to get a better feel for Arkansas state's defense. And I want to get a better feel for how well Kansas state runs the ball. I think, um, you know, one of my takeaways from Arkansas State Memphis game was like comparable games where Arkansas State Memphis and Southern Miss South Alabama, just in terms of you know group of five teams, decent group of five teams playing each other, and the the just the body types and the uh, the the competency, the the movement skills, like just the you know the offensive line. In Southern Miss, South Alabama, just both sides. Just I mean, South Alabama, like they, those guys played well, and I, I, you know, I respect the effort that they gave, and they were they they won the game and all that stuff. But 
neither of those groups look like sort of, you know, quality offensive line groups. I thought Arkansas State and Memphis certainly both looked like quality offensive line groups. I think that Arkansas State, like they got some size, they've got some body types. They, uh, you're right, like they have they have players on the outside. Those guys just didn't make plays. I thought their quarterbacks were were okay, and so. I think that this Arkansas State team, given that it played last week, given that it's got a game under its belt in a year where, man, I feel like that's kind of important. Um, this is just a another one. I don't I don't expect an upset here, but I guess this is another one that, hey, Kansas State, this is a good t- – if Kansas State goes out and rolls Arkansas State, uh, I think that maybe you can, you can feel like Kansas State might be um, – better than than maybe anticipated given all the the turnover and losses they've had on both sides of the ball. So um I I think that this is a this is a good measuring stick for that program. I'm I'm right there with you. Uh I don't have a whole lot to add to this one. So let's go ahead and go to the CBS Sports Network. Woo! All right. Company men we are and uh UL Monroe, uh Louisiana Monroe, ULM, whatever we're supposed to call those guys, uh goes to play at Army Army just trucked Middle Tennessee State. Middle Tennessee State did not show up. I mean, that game was over really before the half. Army scored a touchdown on every drive it had before garbage time. Uh, Middle Tennessee State looked like complete crap, and their quarterback, Asher O'Hara, uh, man, I, I was disappointed. I thought he was going to be decent, especially for for that league standards, and and he didn't look very good either. So I don't know if I put that on him or if I, if I put that on, on Coach Stocksdale for just in, in no facets of that game, including game management coaching, did they look ready? So Army gets the check mark as far as they, they use their practice time effectively. They actually looked you know, coherent. They didn't, uh, you know, they, they, they weren't sloppy, unlike their, their counterparts at Navy, who apparently were not hitting in practice <laughs> at all, which would be good to know before that game happened. Um, ULM can score a little bit, but Man, I'm I'm going to be very curious to see is is Louisiana Monroe's run defense any better? Last year, 120th in the nation uh, in run defense, uh, 124th in run success rate allowed. If you can't stop Army from getting to second and six, third and two, you are pretty screwed in this game. Uh, so that there's a reason this spread is three touchdowns, and I think the reason is like Army could have 40 minutes of possession time and like can ULM be any better up front because this was one of the worst run defenses in the country last year that, that's kind of what I want to find out yeah I mean and this is another this is also a game that was scheduled late sort of like the MTSU game um this line jumped up from 16 to 21 like pretty quick and I, I've I, like I'm not I'm not betting against Army here I mean that this they 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 lose. The, ULM had a pretty good quarterback last year. He's gone. They got a new quarterback, a JUCO guy coming in. They they've got a new their their offensive coordinator left actually to go to Southern Miss. Um, they've I got. I, I, mean, I don't like. I don't. Inv, I don't think about ULM as a as a better test for Army than Middle Tennessee State. And Middle Tennessee State just quit. So maybe ULM's got a little more fight in them, but. I don't know, man. This is a this is this is a little scary game. If I'm on, if I'm on the the boys from Monroe, can I explain why I wouldn't take Army though? Yeah, please. Right. 
I would not bet Army in this game, even with the matchups that, that, I, that I just discussed, simply because I really feel like there is a decent chance that Army as a team is overvalued because Middle Tennessee State did not show up. Like, I don't want I I don't want to buy, you know, on on the spikes, right? You you, you want to buy the dips when, when when betting on teams and uh, price still matters. A lot of the power ratings would have Army as like a ten or eleven point favorite in this game. You know, I, I the other thing is if you're betting Army, it's hard to lay three touchdowns. If Army does have a lot of success running the football, I, I think they had what six or seven possessions against Middle Tennessee State. I mean, if they have six possessions against ULM and they score, you know, four touchdowns on those possessions, maybe, you know, maybe out of field goal, that's 31. Army, I scored, think, a, Army scored a touchdown every possession. Every, every possession single time they the had the ball, one. they yeah. scored, except for the last one where the clock ran out. So, like, what if, what if ULM gets one stop and Army gets to, like, 31, 35 points? If, like, if ULM can score 14... And Army gets forty-five. You're you're pushing. Or excuse me, yeah. if Army gets thirty-five, obviously, if they get forty-five, yeah. then, then then you're you're going to the window, cashing that ticket. Uh, so I just from a value perspective, I would find a, I would find it hard to take Army here at the twenty-one. Now at fourteen and a half, I think there's an argument for it, like where where, where you know I guess open initially. But are, are you ta- are you going to throw Army on, on your? No, uh, I, I okay. no, I don't. I do not have Army. I just this like you like this is one of those games. I look at the line. I'm like, well, I'm like, I'm not playing ULM, but it was gonna be, yeah, it was gonna be hard for me to play Army uh, with anything coming after after last week's because like, how are you gonna look any better than that? Right. Um, and it feels like everyone's gonna gonna be wanting to play Army. So no, I, I was not. Yeah, I don't have Army on my card right now, but. You know, that was sort of my point with with ULM is like, you know, you may you may want to you may want to fade Army after a big game like that last week, but hell, shoot, I mean, I'm not taking ULM. Like that's what I'm not doing. If ULM gets over this 21, I I might have to do it just out of principle, just just as as a betting against the overreaction to Army's week one. But I I wouldn't do it heavily. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, so staying in the ACC, it sounds kind of weird to say here, but Duke and Notre Dame. Uh, Duke is a what twenty point dog, twenty and a half point dog traveling mm-hmm. to Notre Dame. Barton, you can go first on this one. What what do you got? So I'm I'm um, I'm interested in the Chase Bryce experiment at Duke. Congratulations to Chase Bryce on winning the job. Now welcome to life without Clemson wide receivers around you. Um, you now have Duke wide receivers around you. Duke wide receivers are good players. They are also going to be good accountants and mortgage brokers uh, down the line and therefore uh, playing against a team like Notre Dame that I think will have one of the best defenses in the country. Might be a little bit of a wake-up call for our boy Chase Bryce. Uh, It certainly didn't work out for Hunter Johnson at Northwestern. Uh, Kelly Bryant wasn't exactly a failure or a disaster at Missouri, but, uh, you know, it wasn't the, his arrival at Missouri, uh, did not exactly go as, as he expected, anticipated or expected either. I think, um, injuries aside. So I just think 
like this is going to be a this is going to be a tough tough road to hoe um, with, uh, with with Duke and, and Notre Dame, and and I think that particularly given the um, sort of the talent discrepancies, when we feel like we've got talent discrepancies, that that might be further emphasized this year than the most. And I think there's a talent discrepancy in Notre Dame and Duke. I think Notre Dame's got a pretty good roster. I think they've developed it at a pretty high level. So, um, so yeah, that, that's, that, that might be a little bit of a hint on where I'm leaning in this one. This is less of a, what I want to learn and more of a, this is what I think is, is, is the situation. And let's see if Duke can prove me wrong. I have never seen a David Cutcliffe offense look that bad as it did last year. Last year, Quentin Harris, who who I was not a fan of going into the year, I, I thought that like all the Daniel Jones anti hype from draft Twitter and NFL, you know, people dunking on it. Oh, I can't believe you picked him this high. Whatever. I I thought these NFL people can't be that that freaking stupid, and I thought he was probably better than we even realized he was for Duke. And then the bottom just fell out of their passing game last year. They threw they threw three hundred. And 72 passes for 2,100 yards, dude. That's like under five yards an attempt. 16, uh, no, 17 to 13 uh, touchdown to interception ratio last year. Not really going to get it done uh, in any league. Uh, 17 to 13, yikes. So there's a chance that if Chase Price can just be an average quarterback, which I don't know that he is that this offense could take a step forward. And there's there's almost nowhere to go but up. I mean, they were the worst offense in the ACC with the exception of Georgia Tech, which was transitioning from a, a triple option attack. Pretty equally bad throwing the ball and running the ball last year. I think teams realized they really could not run. Um, they only had, I mean, how many games did they actually look decent uh, against an ACC foe? They, they, they crushed Virginia Tech in one of those games where the Hokies really didn't show up at all. After that, I mean, they beat Georgia Tech, which congrats, they're you know, rebuilding. And most of the other games, they had a lot of games where they scored in the teens or, or single digits. And they only put up 17 points against that UNC defense, which was really not very good last year. They only put up six points against Syracuse. Uh, so, you know, the only, the only teams worse than Duke last year in yards per play it's a man. It's a pretty gross. It's a pretty gross group. It's Rutgers, UMass, Northwestern, Old Dominion, and Akron. That ain't oh. the company you want to be in, bro. No, that's. I do have some faith that David Cutcliffe will will improve it this year because I, I think he's a very good offensive coach. But man, I'm buying Notre Dame. You have me. You have me convinced with, with, with your depth chart observations piece. I'm I'm excited. Uh, you wrote that it seems like the right guys are emerging at the right time for Notre Dame. Like the the names that you wanted to see here, I'm, I'm I don't have your piece pulled up, but I remember yeah. kind of the language. Like the names that you wanted to see emerge to, in order to be convinced for Notre Dame that they're going to be a really really good team this year. They they seem to be emerging. I actually put Notre Dame in, in my my playoff. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad pick. I I, I was tempted to go with Notre Dame in there. Um. I think the if like something to watch from Notre Dame is because I do think like the running backs that was the main position where I was encouraged by what showed up on the depth chart, um, and I don't know like at the wide receiver position I don't know that there was necessarily names that I needed to see to make me feel like it was heading in the right direction. I mean the the group is what the group is. I'm just curious what they look like. I'm curious like what kind of playmakers 
are on the perimeter for that Notre Dame offense. I think Tommy Trimble's a really good tight end. They have good depth behind them at that position. They'll have weapons at the tight end spot, and they certainly have bodies at the wide receiver spot. They've got capable uh, pass catchers, but are they? do they have that, that threatening player? to a defense, um, you know, if, if someone can, if someone goes off on, a, on what's a pretty good Duke secondary, um, you know, they've got some players in the secondary for Duke. So if someone goes off from the, from the, the wide receiver position, I think that would be, that'd be an encouraging takeaway as well. All right. After this break, we will go ahead and jump to the three thirty games and lead off with Georgia tech at Florida state. This is Tony Kornheiser show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, (laughs) nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. All right, man, we're back. Georgia Tech travels to Florida State, 330 ABC. So they, they, they get that nice uh, national spot there. Very interesting game for both sides. I'll, I'll go, go quickly here. I want to see uh, if Florida State can run the football against Georgia Tech. Last year, Georgia Tech's defense uh, in the run game uh, was not very good. You have an offensive line that Florida State thinks might be somewhat improved this year. Mike Norvell is typically able to run the football with his offenses as he takes over in Tallahassee. Uh, I don't think they're going to have great success throwing the football, most likely because Georgia Tech's secondary both corners and safeties, is is pretty damn good. Uh, but last year, Georgia Tech, you could run on them pretty much at will. And I want to see if Florida State is able to get the run game going with Texas A&M transfer uh, Jay Sean Corbin. All right, so Bud, help me out here. Help me, let me help, help guide me in how I should think about Florida State here because my initial reaction is, all right, 52 and a half points. Georgia By Tech the way, tried- if you if you if you took our advice last Friday, we said play the under fifty five. There you go. So so you're getting so the there's at, at the, the the lines moved down fifty two and a half. Were 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 both of the think initially that this was this is probably a lower lower point total. I've I have sort of expressed some skepticism in the Florida State offense. I've expressed some confidence in the Florida State defense, but. When I when I think back and I look back on the Florida State season last year, like it was a Kendall Browse offense, and sometimes a Kendall Browse offense is sort of uh, selfish in its approach, and perhaps is like building up those stats even if it's at the expense of its defense. And so, I would expect them to be a little bit more balanced this year and 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 sort of focused on the holistic approach of the game. But the my, my point I'm getting to is like 
their their offense wasn't that bad last year. And so am I underestimating, underselling what Florida State's offense is capable of doing? Uh, they still be young up front, but they got some, you know, they, they should be improved. I think we all, like, we both agree that Georgia Tech is still going to be in this transitionary phase and they've got freshman quarterbacks and they got four quarterbacks they could potentially play. They got a freshman starting at left tackle more than likely. They've got all these sort of reasons to believe that the offense is still going to take some time. But Florida State, I, am, am I underselling them? Should I be more confident in their offense to be able to find some success? It, it's possible that you are, but I, I think it's unlikely that you are in game one uh, because you have you know completely new scheme on offense. It's, it's a decent sized departure from the Bryles scheme, uh, and they didn't have spring practices and they didn't have like the, you know summer camps together. They, they were trying to install this thing via Zoom. Uh, in practice, the defense has pretty soundly dominated the offense. I, I think that it is possible this offense ends up as a better offense than it was last year by the end of the season. I don't know that it's going to be better than it was last year early in the season as they work through you know, some growing pains. Uh, we know they wanted to use the tight end more, and they didn't really like their tight end room at all. And, I mean, as evidence on the depth chart, they have two walk-ons at, at, at numbers two and three. They went out and got UCLA transfer Jordan Wilson, who was going to start for them at tight end, and then he blew his Achilles in the second week of fall camp. Uh, so they're going to have to probably play more three and four wide sets or, or, or more, you know, kind of 20 personnel with, you know, three receivers, two backs than they would otherwise want to because they, they want to incorporate the tight ends more. Um, defensively is where I think this FSU team can make a huge jump this year. Last year, we know that they had, um, how do we say this, like disagreement on what scheme to run and we're trying to mesh essentially uh, the uh, Jim Levitt scheme with the Michigan State Harlan Barnett scheme, and it was largely a disaster. And the defense did not play complementary football last year relative to the offense, right? If you have the Kendall Browse offense, you want to play a fast, aggressive defense that tries to get you know, tackles for loss, turnovers, three and outs, and you're willing to trade off uh, some some explosive plays in order to get the ball back in the hands of the offense so that you can you know wear down the opponent. And instead, the defense was... Uh, was one of the best in the nation at, expo at preventing explosive plays, but they would allow us to stay in drives all the time. Uh, so really a, kind of a mismatch there of what you should be doing if you want to run that offense. Uh, I, I think the defense, if you strip out the teams who are not playing this year, I think they have potential to be a top 20, maybe top 15 type defense. They're, they're fairly talented there, and I think that the, they have real buy-in to the coaching on that side of the ball. I agree with that. So I guess the conclusion for me is I am anxious to learn. I have confidence in their defense. I'm anxious to learn what their offense is capable of under an offensive coach I really respect and Mike Norvell um, in a year that's been obviously had some uh, obstacles. So for sure. Uh, we'll see. All right. We saw Texas State, man. A lot of the uh... – a lot of the broadcast was all about Texas State, and they loved their 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 quarterback at Texas State. And I went back and looked, and I just <laughs> I wasn't really blown away by his numbers against an SMU defense, which is really nothing special. And hey, you Al remember Sean White at Auburn? Yeah. Do you remember when he like he would be he would be he would have a clean pocket, and he and he'd make a throw and he'd like fall down, like it would, he'd he'd be shooting like fadeaway jumpers, basically, like. 
with with no one around him. Brady McBride did a lot of that against uh, SMU last week. It's like phantom defenders. He found a way to hit the ground, found a way to to like throw without his feet set when they didn't need to not be set. Um, he's a little bit of an N one mixtape type of quarterback. Uh, so I don't know where you're going with that, but like Brady McBride had a lot of Sean White in him, and that's I don't think that's a great thing. Yeah, I, I'm not buying into the Johnny Manziel comparisons that, that, that the announcers <laughs> no. were making, and I, I'm not convinced that uh, that McBride is going to be Spavital's ticket to uh, a, like like a Power Five job next year. I, I'm I'm not convinced. However, I am not anxious to jump on UTSA because last year they didn't do anything well. They, I mean, their run game was somewhat less terrible than the rest of their numbers but overall just nothing that, that I was really impressed with I you know what I want to learn in this game I, I kind of want to learn about SMU's defense right is is SMU's defense bad or like if Texas State goes out and puts a 50 burger on UTSA then I might feel a little bit better about the points that SMU's defense allowed yeah I think that's a good point um you know, this is the Jeff Trailer introduction. He's the he's an old football coach, old high school East Texas coach, and he's been at Texas and uh, Arkansas, and now he's getting his head job. Man, his his intro press conference was fantastic energy, uh, and so we'll we'll see what they've got in store uh, in his opening week. But uh, but no, I'm 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 with you. Like, was last week just a sloppy performance by SMU? Was it just a, was it just Texas State capitalizing? making a few plays with uh with everyone just getting their feet under them or is texas state actually a competent competitive team um you know this will be this will be a good test uh now we, we are the, on schedule by the way like we, we we said about three minutes per game we have like 15 minutes left and uh we have five games left so this is we're, we're not having these week one problems that's right mid-season form clemson wake forest um is the next power five game we got on the slate okay 7.30 Eastern kick in Winston-Salem. Line is 33, total 60. Um, that's a low number for a big for a big uh for a big line. What do you think? What are you what are you looking for? So I'm gonna steal this from Packer and Durham, the, the ACC network morning show that I had in the background this morning. Uh the last two years, Clemson has outscored Wake by 109 points, which is an ACC record for back-to-back games. Um, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to learn anything from this game because, like, if they go out there, if Wake goes out there and loses by 40, I, I, I don't even know what I'm looking for here. I, I, I they, they don't have Sage Surratt. I think Wake is a legitimate contender to be the worst team in the ACC this year, which really pains me to say because I, I have a lot of belief in Dave Clawson as a coach, but personnel-wise, I, I think they are lacking, especially on offense. I. I there's a decent chance we come in and we overhype a lot of these young Clemson defensive stars because I'm not sure Wake can block them. Do you have a feel for what like what specifically you're looking for here? Because man, there's there's so many things that could happen, and I don't know that they're going to be definitive answers due to the the talent gap. I mean, I expect Clemson to be like what what's Clemson got spring practice in. Right. They return their quarterback. They return their running back. They return plenty of offensive line guys. They return talent that is experienced 
at the receiver that maybe not their best two receivers from last year, but they got a lot of really good receivers. I mean, in what universe is Clemson not clicking offensively? Like I, I'll be very surprised if they can't put up points. Um, so I guess really, honestly, I don't know. I don't know what I expect to learn as teams, but I, I'm just excited. I think necessarily, I think I'm just excited to just see a couple players. I'm excited to see the introduction of Brian Brzee to the college football universe. I'm excited to see redshirt freshman Donovan Green for Wake Forest. Like that's a guy to watch. If you're not familiar with Wake Forest, they, he, he played the last four games of the year um, as a red shirt and went off with Sage Surratt. And uh, who was the other guy? Scotty, uh, uh, what other, other receiver was for Scotty Wake Washington? Forest? Scotty Washington. Um, so Donovan Green's a, kind of a freak. Like he's a guy you usually see at Clemson. And so that'll be interesting to see what he can, he can put together. But no, I, I mean, if this is a close game, then that'll be – That'll be great. I hope it's a close game. It'll be fun for college football to see Wake good again and Clemson, you know, have not be perfect. But um, it's uh, I don't expect it to be close. And I think this is more about enjoying the talent on the field, of which there will be plenty. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So this is kind of a fun one. Tulane at South Alabama. Man, we, we just saw Tulane. Um, or excuse me, no, we didn't. We, we, we just saw South Alabama and they – they took care of, of, of a Southern Miss team, which was a double-digit favorite over them in the opener. I'm, I want to know how much of South Alabama's defensive line effectiveness was Southern Miss's terrible offensive line and maybe Southern Miss not being particularly prepared for that ball game, as we saw uh, head coach Jay Hobson either resign or be fired, depending on, on his reporting, you believe, here uh, after the game. Like, how... How good is this? Is the South Alabama front? Because I actually think the South Alabama offense is uh, very exciting and perhaps somewhat effective. Um, you know, given the receivers they have and the, the quarterback they have, who's, who you, you can definitely make some plays. In, in uh, was it Trotter? I think his name is. I'm trying to remember now. Um, uh, yeah, Jeremiah Trotter. Trotter. Mm-hmm. But up front, like, Tulane is is a team that can usually run the ball extremely effective. I, I, I think Coach Fritz does a great job there. So. Is South Alabama going to be able to put up any resistance against Tulane's run, run game? Because if they look that good up front two games in a row, then, then I might be buying South Alabama to make some noise in that league. Yeah, yeah. I, I think just, you know, I mean, we, we, we would have thought Tulane, and before last weekend, I think we would have thought Tulane and Southern Miss were relatively comparable teams. Um, you know, maybe, maybe, we, maybe you're going to take Tulane as being a little bit better, but uh, I don't think that anyone would have confidently been like, you know, put 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 a line between those two teams as double digits. And uh, Southern Miss kind of got worked by South Alabama. So, yes, I'm I'm just I just want to see if South Alabama skill guys can run it back. Uh, I, I'm, you know, there's Southern Miss. We this is it was obviously a, a, a tenuous situation with Jay Hobson resigning two days after the game, three days after the game. Tulane, much less so. Tulane, you know, Willie Fritz is uh, an established, real-deal coach that is going to have his team prepared. And I, I think if South Alabama can have another successful night offensively, then all of a sudden, you know, I start looking at this this team as pretty legit. And and man, you know, like we talked about, you know, last time, you know, I just think this is that's a fun wide receiver group. So 
good chance to see him again. So that's fun. Where do you want to go now? We have uh, two more in, in that kind of like evening, but not late night hour. Let's go to the 43-point spread between Texas and UTEP. Why in the hell is Texas playing UTEP? That's what, that's what uh, our guy Trey Scott keeps on asking. What's the point? You know, all, got, all this is is just an opportunity to contract COVID because this thing ain't going to be close. Um, it's, uh, I mean, this is, I don't know. Where do you go? Where do you go with this one, bud? So UTEP is my early favorite to be the zoom out team. And by zoom out, I mean, if you're making a graph and like graphing everybody's like offense and defense, UMass is the team that makes you zoom out because they are so far off in their own quadrant as far as being the worst team in the country, at at least amongst the ones that they're playing. Like the other teams that I thought might be able to give them a run for being the worst in the country were like New Mexico State, which is not playing Bowling Green, UMass, and UConn. They're kind of in that level. And I, I think there's a kind of a gap between them and like, like the next level terrible teams. So like, does UTEP do anything interesting? I'll, I'll be interested to see that. Uh, and I'm interested to see, like, does Texas create explosive plays? There's something for you. So Texas last year, one of their knocks on offense was that they did not do a great job of creating explosive plays. So can they get over the top? Can they, can they show me that? I'm not going to be totally sold if they do it, but if they don't create explosive plays against UTEP, then I might have a little bit of a cause for early concern. So is UTEP the worst team in the country is something I'll be watching for them, uh, and which I think the answer is probably. And then can Texas create explosive plays and take a positive step? I mean, Texas, <laughs> I mean, they better create explosive plays against UTEP. Um, th- this is, I'm just like, UTEP just, man, when are they going to have a chance to be good again? So I'm, I forgot. So, like, I guess Mike Price was at UTEP on like the bat, like after his his downfall, um, and he had a couple decent years early in his tenure. <clears throat> um, but this is, I guess, I'm just looking at their history. <laughs> like, it's uh, there ain't a lot of good seasons to choose from in the old UTEP archives. Um, I just I wonder what you know who's who who can get that thing going. Anyways, so I I think this is another one where I just want to see some some introductions. I want to see an introduction to Rick Black uh, at wide receiver for for Texas. I want to see an introduction to Bazan Robinson at, at, at running back, the, the true freshman five star. <clears throat> um, and you know I want to see the like is the Chris Ash defense is is that def like. I, I'd like to see just sort of defensively how comfortable they look because they're going to need to be improved defensively. And this is a new system. This is a a pretty big shift from the previous system. So, you know, let's just see, like, because I I think if they can sort of settle in defensively and let what is supposed to be one of the most talented rosters in the country um, just be talented, then I think you could be looking at a Texas team that's going to have a pretty good year. So, you know, maybe the opposite is true to me. Like, how, how many how many explosive plays do they give up um, defensively? Uh, I would hope not many, but if they if they give up a couple, then you know maybe I'm a little less less excited about Texas moving forward. I think that's fair. All right, we are still on schedule here. So, Western Kentucky goes to Louisville. Pretty uh, pretty short trip there for those guys. 
You want to lead this off? Yeah, I mean, I, this, these are two teams I like. I, I like Louisville. I like Western Kentucky. I didn't expect to. I didn't think I liked the Tyson Helton hire at Western Kentucky, but as as it turns out, I think that was a pretty good hire. Um, I, I I love the Scott Satterfield hire, and that's turned out to be a pretty good hire. But and 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 you know, Western has been. You know, they played good defense last year, um, and and they're sort of known as an offensive team. But but I think the question here, like the thing that we need to get figured out, is what how has Louisville taken strides defensively? And they were, they were awesome last year on offense. And I think they'll be awesome again this year on offense. And their offense is, I mean, Scott Satterfield talked about it when we talked to App State. Like, Scott Satterfield, to me, is a dude when it comes to offensive football coach. What's the defense look like? Um, and I, I think that Western Kentucky is a, is a good enough football team to where whatever the result is, we can trust it as being um, – well-earned, you know, like you're not going to get anything easy with this West Kentucky team who I think is, is, is a team that's really well coached on both sides of the ball. I think that's a really good staff. Um, and so I just, I want to see if this defense is, is fitting to run and, you know, in the right way is, is, um, you know, uh, gap sound and is, is because that's kind of what they were like. They, they were sort of all over the place last year sometimes. And, um, and just we're, we're giving up big plays, easy to gash, uh, let's, let's, let's see what that defense can put together in a, in a nice week one test. So Louisville was one of my teams like UNC, which has gone from a, like a dedicated fade team early in the year, it, like pre COVID stuff, because I, I felt like the hype was a little bit unjustified and projecting another big leap. Whereas this might just be a year of maintaining some of the gains that they made last year. I, I do think that a lot of what Satterfield did, and I think Satterfield's a really good coach was just getting them to buy in and believe and to go from just quitting, which clearly like like their results in in 18 were far below their talent level because they just quit on Petrino. So he got them not to quit and to buy in and to believe and got them to be a, a decent team. I, I don't know if the talent is there to take another similar size leap, although I think uh, you know some level of improvement is, is probably uh, possible and maybe likely. But post-COVID, I'm actually buying Louisville a little bit more now simply because I am buying offensive continuity, especially early in the season. And Louisville brings back almost everybody of importance on offense. Uh, here's the thing. Do they have the defensive talent to make a defensive leap? Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Petrino did not recruit that side of the ball very well in his last couple of years. I don't know that Louisville has brought enough instant impact guys in on that side of the ball to make a big leap. However, uh, Western Kentucky, this is a team that Louisville's defense needs to look good against because last year they were really carried by their defense. Western Kentucky, 97th last year in offense. So if if Louisville does not look good defensively against Western Kentucky, I, I won't definitively say that they're not going to be a good, good defensive team because who knows, maybe WKU has improved on that side of the ball. Uh, but more than likely, if they don't look good here in this one, I'm, I'm going to have some some lingering concerns about their defense because I really don't think Western Kentucky has has a lot of firepower on that side of the ball. They, they were really more of a, a defensive-led team last year. Agreed. Okay. Now to the the final game on the slate, the big one, the one we're all waiting for, our equivalent of the – Pac-12 at night, Coastal Carolina at Kansas. Kansas is a seven-point favorite after losing to Coastal Carolina last year. 
Um, what's on your mind for this one? Uh, I am taking Coastal Carolina in the seven. Spread finally got there, and I'm I'm taking it. Uh, I, I I said it last week. I thought Coastal Carolina would have a chance to win the game, and at the time, the spread was like three and a half, which really didn't have any interest in uh, in playing. Uh, but at seven, Coastal Carolina returns a ton of continuity and returning experience on offense. They run kind of like a little tricky uh, option type thing at times, which is difficult to prepare for, although Kansas did see it last year and has had the whole offseason to get ready for it. It's not like this game uh, was was super recently scheduled. Coastal beat them last year. Important to note that was before Brent Deerman became uh, the dedicated OC there for Kansas, and Kansas's offense did improve after that point. So can Kansas's defense get stops? Last year they actually managed to do so, but but Coastal's offense improved uh, a decent bit throughout the season. So I, I, w- I want to see uh, can Kansas's defense improve at all? Like I don't think Coastal's offense is good, but but it does have continuity. So uh, the thing like when when I did this the the depth chart um, deep dive, call it that depth chart deep dive, a little alliteration to that. So my depth chart deep dive was when I when I when I looked at Kansas the I mean the thing like the the immediate obvious takeaway is like let's see what the quarterback looks like because I do think they have really good wide receivers like I think Kansas has a legitimately strong wide receiving core and Puka Williams in the backfield like those are weapons Andrew Parchman at wide receiver is a guy that people need to know about I think he could flash but you got Thomas McVitie who's had this um up up and down sort of topsy-turvy path to get to Kansas and Miles Kendrick, who's more athletic, has some experience. Like one of those guys has to be decent. And I'm not confident either of them is going to be decent. So, all right, quarterback, like that's the thing we need to keep an eye on. But the other thing with Kansas is, and, and this is probably um, doesn't bode well for this year, but could maybe bode well for the future, is like when you look at their depth chart, they got a lot of first-year guys poking around the line of scrimmage, um, like defensive line depth chart guys that are are freshmen, redshirt freshmen, um, you know, true sophomores. And I, I think that that is, you know, they could take some lumps and that could ultimately be something that uh, Kansas football is benefits from. But early in the season, um, you know, particularly playing a Coastal Carolina team that say hey, no one's thinking Coastal is a juggernaut, but they did beat them last year, and they they do are they are a much more experienced team this year than they were last year. Um, so I'm just I'm just curious what that defensive front looks like. You know, the the, the flip side though, like in the the counter argument to the Coastal Carolina, you know, plus seven is this was this was pre Brent Deerman when they lost that game. And Brent Deerman took over as the offensive coordinator and things really started to shift. That That's when you felt the momentum change in that season. Um, so I don't know. Maybe another year with Brent Deerman um, gives Kansas a lot more confidence going into this game, and, and it's a different story. Um, but I, I'll, I'll be I'll be watching. Like, this will be an interesting one to me. It, it wouldn't shock me. <clears throat> excuse me. It would not shock me if, if Coastal won this game. It also really wouldn't shock me if if Kansas blows them out. Right, like if if the talent that Kansas has accumulated clicks in game one, which obviously since I'm taking Coastal, I don't think is super likely. But if it were if it were to click, I do think that they can out talent Coastal by a decent margin, you know, or, or early in the year. So 
Uh, if I was looking to play Kansas here, I might look to play them on some of the alternate lines, you know, at, at increased odds, especially because uh, pro tip. I don't know if you guys caught this last week. Vegas was only within a touchdown of the spread three times and within a touchdown of the over-under twice. Uh, so the, like, yeah, the accuracy of these Vegas lines in, in week one uh, was horrendous. That, that's nowhere close to what it normally is. So they're still trying to figure it out just like we are. Um, and anything is anything's always possible in college football. This year especially, anything is possible. And that's why we do the show, man. We're, we're, we're saying what we not necessarily what we think is going to happen, but what we want to find out. Because this year, more than ever, there's, there's that much uncertainty. I'm, I'm really excited to learn and to watch this weekend. And, and football's back. Football is back. Thank the good Lord on high. Here we go. Off to a good weekend. I'm excited. Five stars on iTunes, y'all. Get us to 600. Don't, don't let Josh Payton and his YouTube army uh, pull, pull ahead of us by that much. So appreciate it. See you guys on Monday morning. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.